Hey, thanks for coming back to the Airport Minute, where every day we recount one minute of the greatest disaster movie ever made, the 1970 Universal Pictures Airport. I'm Jim O'Kane of TVDads.com. And I'm host number two, Mark Cerulli of CovertOps.tv, and uh, we have an extremely special guest host today. Um, if you saw the movie Hoot, he wrote and directed it. If you saw Peggy Sue Got Married, he was in it. And if you've ever played Pi Gow Poker at Caesar's Palace, he taught you how. Our good friend, Will Schreiner. Well, it's so nice to have that Pi Gow credit to my success <laughs> level. You know, it's really it's sort of the one I put on the top of the resume, that I was the host of video games. Uh, welcome to welcome – to, and you know how many friends of mine would watch me on that closed circuit Caesar's Palace and say I was – Flipping, I was watching porn, and I flipped over, and there you were, <laughs> right. explaining to Howie Mandel how to play craps, and uh, I, I lost any erection I had, and uh, so, but it's 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 great pride. It's, it's, it's I'm glad to be on the show. I, I think uh, I think this movie Airplane Airport was one of the everybody mixes it up. It was one of the great movies. I mean, I remember as a kid, this was, you know, this and Planet of the Apes were my two big influence movies. It is fantastic how many people were affected by this watching it as youngsters. We talk to pilots and actors and things. And this was the movie they always go back to and saying, I love this part or this particular scene. It's a, it's a soap opera. It corny as can be, but you're still drawn to it. And you have to, if it's on TV nowadays, you have to kind of like tune in and just watch the rest of it. Right. Right to the very well, the end. acting is what makes it yeah. <laughs> or the overacting. Yeah. yeah. And it, you know, these are, these are some major hitters. I mean, Burt Lancaster and Dean Martin and, you know, and all the others, you're seeing these people at either the top of their game or 10 years after the top of their right. game. But they, they're what makes this movie and, and makes the unbelievability of it a little bit more believable. And as yeah. I always say, this is, this is you know, state-of-the-art, big-budget Hollywood for 1970. Yeah, I mean, by, by comparison, what would the budget on this be today? Oh, roughly to $150 million. So this is a, you know, this is a knockout film sure, at the time. Sure. And it risk. made a ton of money. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it made a hundred million dollars, which is about a half a billion right, nowadays. Right. So this was King Kong. It was it was right up there. The only other movie that made more money was Patton that year. So you know, it, this this was a tentpole for Universal. Mm-hmm. Uh, despite for, uh, Lou Wasserman's uh, desire to get rid of it, he didn't like the producer, and he really wanted to sink this movie. But it succeeded yeah, despite. despite it. <laughs> well, let's let's get into. It. We are sixty nine minutes into the movie, and we are just. This is the end of what I guess you could call it Act One. Uh, everybody's in place. The uh, the Mad Bomber, the uh, the Stowaway, uh, the Pregnant Stewardess, and the distraught and wife, Dean Martin. Yeah. <laughs> oh, is my wife in this? Uh, <laughs> yeah. So, <laughs> but they're they're all on board, ready to go, uh, and we're watching. We open the the scene with uh, poor Inez Guerrero, who just realized she missed the boat or missed the plane. Missed this is where she goes from upset. Mrs. Guerrero to slightly crazy, getting more crazy. Uh, well, Mrs. Guerrero, yeah, I love her... the bank of uh, phone booths behind it. That 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 really dates it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's a it's a lost world, and even things like the ashtray next yeah. to her. I mean, there's she's going to grab <laughs> a lot and start smoking. Yeah. <laughs> it's fun seeing her playing out in this lost world. Though. But she's doing great work there, really. I mean, you know, just just looking so devastated, and and you, you just feel for. her. Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, she does have desperation written all over her, uh, and you just feel her pathos and her inability to do anything. I do love the uh, snow shot that comes next. It's not on screen long enough. (laughs) Yeah, it just sets the mood. You've got all that. I don't think it's optical snow. I think they actually had like a snow machine out there in Minneapolis, and we're just blowing it in front of a clear light. Right, right, right. And then we're back inside the uh, 707 where Jacqueline Bissett is explaining how to use your life raft. 
Yeah. Or your your the unlikely death. event of a water landing. Well, yeah, they don't put them on anymore because they don't want to screw up their hair. But they now they just kind of like put. But I love the fact that the overhead bins had no doors on them, so that you know, <laughs> that there were there were just pillows and blankets in those days. You know, nothing you couldn't put anything above. And the outfits are great too. Yeah, luggage was free, and yeah, those those nice uh, Edith Head designed uh, stewardess. Uh, oh, the Edith Head did those. Those are beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. Well. Yeah, yeah. Well, she's quite the uh, yeah. She was quite the legendary costume designer. And then we get to the extras, which I have to admit are a little bit over. You know, when, when we call we call them background, when and and they're just a, trying a little bit too hard, I think. But I think they had to in those days to sort of that, that was kind of demanded. I mean, they had to sell the whole scene. It keeps looking if you look at uh, around uh, second twenty three. I know that is not Charles Grodin in first class, but it really does look like him. Uh, <laughs> it does look yeah. like him. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And the guy reading the paper, I mean, you can. You, you, I actually feel like he's reading. <laughs> yeah. He does some power there. And then you got an ascot on the guy yeah, behind. I was about to say, when do you ever <laughs> see anyone in an ascot? My dad used to wear ascots. Wait, I'm wearing an ascot right now. I don't know. I, I sort of I don't really appreciate that comment because he's with a girl with a very busy scarf. So makes sense. Yeah, yeah. Well, it, yeah, his it, well, he wants to wear it the that way that that she's got it on, but you know he's he's got to look a little bit a little bit more debonair, think, so he's got it tucked in. I think it's uh, the villain from Thunderball sitting in the second uh, second row there, you know, oh, with the oh. narrow tie. Yeah, Emilio Largo. There he is. Oh yeah, it does look a little like him. And <laughs> minus the eye. And then the guy yeah. alone in the back is a little creepy because I think he might even be touching himself. I'm not sure. <laughs> Yeah, it's uh, it's very disturbing. And half of them are looking at what's going on, and half of them aren't. So they're just trying to sell the general disinterested nature of the whole right. thing. And then you then you go a little further down. You got the old guy that looks like I he I, I know that face. I've seen him in a million million pictures. The old guy with the blue uh, pocket square. He is so oh, yeah. yeah. Smithers. Both of them. Is that who that Smithers. is? <laughs> no, I don't. I, don't. Yeah, I thought he, it was Alfred from the old like Batman one, series. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's yeah. like one of the, one of the one of the extra guys at a conference room. You know, when you're meeting with the CEO, he's not the CEO, but he's like one of one of the guys. Giving a harumph out of and that And then you've guy. got Catherine Hepburn sitting right behind him. <laughs> yeah, they don't realize that, that a lot of these big stars did extra work in this picture. And then you go to this family. <laughs> wow. This is a very weird family. you got the kid with the way too big glasses. And then you got the guy with the sort of smarmy uh, car salesman mustache. And, I mean, he's way too old to be that kid's dad. No, that kid looks yeah. seriously disturbed, actually. Uh-huh. <laughs> wow. and, well, that's uh, the the actor that had portrayed the uh, the kid there in the in the in on the side. Uh, he was later a or he was earlier an ape in uh, Planet of the Apes. He was uh, Doctor Zayer, Doctor Doctor Zira, uh, Cornelius's wife. He was her, uh, her lab oh. assistant. <laughs> so uh, he was probably thinking, good, I don't have to wear a rubber mask in this one. And then you get a nice touch coming up here with the international announcement and these obviously looking foreigners, these immigrants that would never get in the country today, uh, sitting there and looking up and like suddenly sparking to the yeah. left. Right. Yeah. Is it my native tongue? <laughs> yeah. And she's she's dressed like she's just, you know, about to debark at Ellis Island well, and she's just a kerchief wrapped around her. <laughs> yeah. He's in he's in baggage claim. Um who the guy behind him looks just like uh the guy from Bullet. Remember the guy that's Steve McQueen's assistant in Bullet, the uh, guy that's behind the uh immigrant lady. Yeah. And the other yeah. lady is trying to not look like she's on camera. She's actually cowling from camera. She obviously has some sort of outstanding warrants or something. Yeah, she didn't want to be in this movie, but they insisted to fill the seat, so we go on to the serviceman who is handing apparently the emergency card to the two nuns. I thought it was a naked picture of a priest that he was handing him. 
but I could be wrong. I don't know. I don't remember. Yeah. But the, the one the, pretty the, nun, and then you got the yeah. really traditional-looking nun. Yeah, the, the, the pretty nun would later play uh, Mrs. Felix Unger in the uh, Odd Couple TV series. It's uh, Janice Hansen. Oh. Uh, so, who started her career as a Playboy bunny? So so. She's a naughty nun. <laughs> yeah. This is just like they had a list of get me this type, get me that type, get me you know I need a couple of religious people, I need some servicemen, and there's a guy in the back who looks like you know central casting's version of somebody you'd see in the background of a bar. Yeah. Give, you know, <laughs> yeah, give him a, yeah. a little fedora and stick him you know in the back, make it cocky. Yeah, and, yeah. I love the way he's wearing that hat. Yeah, and is he gonna wear it for the next seven and a half hours on the flight to Rome? I mean. That, I think you're indoors. You can take it off now. Yeah, I know, but the hats were the big thing in these pictures. I mean, you know, you go back to the pictures of the 40s and 50s and 60s, the hats were worn all the time, mm-hmm. as witnessed by the lady with the uh, knitting needles. She's got a hat on. Nobody's complaining about her. Yeah, she's we about call to that stick, the ferret. Oh, is that? Yeah, ferret. Yeah, yeah, she's about to stick that needle in somebody's eye. Um, yeah, hopefully hope she doesn't bump into a, a Van Heflin's briefcase, uh, briefcase there. <laughs> he, he, yeah, <laughs> he, he is really uh, doing some acting in this thing. He's clutching and looking. I mean, I, I thought that this was uh, – I, I, did they put sweat on him? He looks very sweaty in this still frame that I have. Uh, he's obviously, obviously uh, uh, did not powder for the scene. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, and, and we've got uh, America's uh, number one foreground background character, Whit Bissell, right there in the, uh, in the seat next to Helen Hayes. <laughs> Uh, tr- trying to look innocuous while he's you know, in the foreground. He's good at not being noticed, right. so uh, doing doing his job. Well, yeah, I mean, a background, an extra's job is to not like upstage the the actor. They really they they have. There's an art to it, and if they're too busy, I put a guy in Hoot once that came through the scene and decided to stop and wave at his friends and blocked Robert Wagner's close up. <laughs> Oof! And in the next take, thus <laughs> ended his career. In the next take, he was 400 <laughs> yards down the road wondering what happened. <laughs> wow. It, you know, it's all the little touches, like watching the, the snow blowing by in the background just for continuity's sake. It was, this is such a quality uh, production. They, you know, even though they didn't need everything, they, they spent the time getting it, getting it yeah. right. No, so, I, it, it's, 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 I mean, you really feel like you're on a flight at that time period, obviously, because uh, you, you were. Did they shoot this on a soundstage, or was this, uh, this obviously was a mock-up somewhere that they did. Yeah, yeah. yeah this was a fully articulated uh, 707, you know, they had the cockpit and all the, the background, and then underneath the thing, they had these giant rocker arms that they could make the plane, you know, jiggle around, so... It was, uh, for, for the time, it was cutting-edge special Yeah, effects. I remember I was on uh, directing uh, Fran Drescher's t- had a TV show. I forget which one it was called, something, Fr- Living with Fran. And Air Force One was shooting at MGM across the way, and they had the whole Air Force One plane mock-up, and it would actually roll. I mean, they had it on this gimbal. I mean, it was really an elaborate setup to, to get these shots that they needed to get. Wow. These are floor effects. It's all before, I mean, they could have used special effects maybe, but, you know, the idea of just being able to do this mechanically is astonishing. But that's, you know, the beauty of Hollywood. We we are, you know, we watch uh, uh, Van Van Heflin grab his you know, good acting, grabbing his uh, uh, briefcase. Oh, I'm, there. I'm nervous for him. <laughs> Just think, somebody has that briefcase today. <laughs> yeah, somebody's oh. got that in a, in a glass case. <laughs> <laughs> Is that a map of? Uh... Of Italy, that he's you know. Well, if I survive this, maybe I'll yeah. uh, go down to Florence. <laughs> well, he, buy some. Uh, he's just trying to figure out where in the Atlantic Ocean the pieces are going to land. So, <laughs> and then in the I next really scene, think, yeah, I really think they were, were they were getting glare off the briefcase is why that map is there. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> good that's practically good is, yeah. that's a good point. 
And uh, I was about to say, in the next scene, you have the doctor handing out pills. <laughs> I mean, yeah, how great or, is that? Yeah, he, well, claims, <laughs> he claims to be a doctor. Yeah, he cl- yeah, exactly. He doesn't look like a doctor to me. And he's a, he, and she's a little too uh, – look at her look at those pills. I mean, she's like bright. This is a lady that's been – she's probably been on Halcyon for at least six months or a year at this point. <laughs> she, she is really excited to see this, whereas the other lady seems a little bit uh, – you know, not really that excited. She's more interested in what's in the seat back pocket. Was that um, yeah. Eckberg sitting next to her? Is that who that is? I, no, I, man, I, I don't know. You got all. <laughs> yeah, no. I, well, the one in the middle seat seems to be forty playing twenty. I don't. I don't know where. You know, she's. What is she doing on the plane? Is she traveling alone? Is she traveling with the other woman? I, I don't know what the backstory is. Well, she's background. I guess it doesn't matter. Well, that's the thing you don't know about a plane is if everybody gets these three got put together for a reason, but we don't know if they if they if she had any real. Uh, you know, I think at some point the the blonde lady you know hates the other woman, um, and now she's even madder that the doctor and her have struck up a conversation, and they're probably going to be dropping <laughs> some quaaludes here in a minute. <laughs> Yeah, well, he's got that whole bag of tricks that he's going to be bringing with him to Italy, and I don't know how Italian customs treat somebody coming in with a bag of drugs in 1970, but I think they'd be too happy about that. They sit you down and make you eat a half pound of mortadella. That's what they do. (laughs) Yes, exactly. And is is that the guy behind them? That's was he was wasn't he the banker on Beverly Hillbillies? (laughs) Yeah, yeah, that's Mr. Drysdale with uh, Drysdale. Right, I couldn't remember that. Yeah. Uh, and uh, it looks like Barbara Billingsley next to him. So it's just. Uh, yeah, it is. It, well, you know, in, a day, in the day, Universal had contract actors. My brother was a contract actor at Universal. And they put you, he was in uh, well, the movie with Gregory Peck, played Pat, uh, Pat not Pat, the other. Uh, oh, Inchon, was it? No, it was a famous, uh, you know, it was a guy with a pipe. Uh, what's his name? MacArthur. 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 He was in MacArthur. But he was a contract actor. He got 500 a week. And they would teach you to sing and dance and sword fight. And then they would just stick you in any movie that they he was in, Bob, Bob, anything Universal was doing. You were then plugged into these things. And it's how you built wow. a career and experience and a resume. Wow. Well, you can see that in a couple of the, the Universal players in the background of here. Uh, in an earlier minute, we saw behind Helen Hayes is Pat Priest, who had just finished uh, the Munsters as you know, Marilyn right. Munster. Well, only one of the Marilyns. There were a couple of Marilyns. Y- yeah, exactly. And but you know, she winds up being literally a seat filler. Uh, <laughs> when when did movie. that whole studio system go away? I mean, probably shortly after this, right? 1977 yeah. it went away cuz my brother was under contract and got dropped and a week later he got hired to star on General Hospital and he's been on there for 40 years. So Universal could have been collecting on his salary and paying him 500 bucks to this day, but they dropped the mm-hmm. whole program in 77. Wow, I, I guess nobody's making these kind of movies anymore, so they probably don't need that many uh, many background actors, or or it's more of an enterprise than a than a production. Now they're all CGI. Yeah. Well, my son works as the uh, he's the hands of the guy on Bones of David uh, whatever his name is on Bones, and every, whenever there's an insert shot of a of a hand writing or typing, that's my son's hands, and he makes uh, you know uh, sag money doing it. Wow. I think he makes a couple, I think two, 300,000 a day on that thing. Easily. (laughs) (laughs) Just for his hands. Just for his hands. I said, work on a forearm, maybe work your way up. (laughs) It's going to be an elbow part coming up next. Well, we were back at the, what seems to be the the last scene here. We're watching, uh, the 707, the real 707 turning left onto runway two, two for takeoff. We get a pre JJ Abrams lens flare there with an actual lens making that flare on their light. Yeah, no, that's, that's a great, that's a great shot. I mean, you just feel, you feel the cold, you feel the, uh, 
the uh, the 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 movement of the plane. It's uh, that's my favorite shot in this in this in this one minute that I've been uh, so covering so uh, accurately. Um, and and you know everybody dreams being a pilot. Everybody dreams of that next shot where you see the guys pushing the throttle forward. Mm-hmm. Just coming yeah. up. I can't. I, 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 if you if you call me next week, I'd like to be involved with that. I'd love to have you. <laughs> it'd, it'd be great. It's the audio on this movie really sells the whole reality of, it. and you get the, you hear those engines firing up and. Mm-hmm. And the music, Alfred Newman's uh, music laid over the top of it, the, the unease, because you know what's going to happen. You know there's a guy with a bomb on that great big plane. Right. Because Alfred Newman was Randy Newman's dad, right? I don't uh, know. He could. I think so. Really? I think the oh, Newman okay. family. And there's two Newman composers besides uh, Randy Newman. I think, that's a, I think that's the dad. I mean, you know, those guys, you know, the Bernard Hermans and those guys, I mean, they work constantly. You know, but you got yeah. the guys today, the Danny Elfmans and, the, you know, the different guys. I mean, the music, I'm a big fan of the score of movies, movie scores, and this film had terrific music. Yeah. This was Newman's last score. He died before the Oscars. He was nominated for a, a Best Soundtrack, but sadly passing away before the uh, Actually, before the movie was released, oh. it's really you know he he is such a part of uh, American cinema. He did most famously the uh, 20th Century Fox fanfare that you hear at the, at the beginning of every Fox movie. Oh, was that him? That, that, yeah, that, 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 oh, he, yeah. I always that, that wanted when I wa- always wanted to make a movie where it opened with that. For some reason, that was like the definitive opening logo. Our movie we did for uh, for um, New Line, you know, it had the little things that spin, and we took their theme out which you have to get a waiver from the studio and everything else. But I always wanted that that, uh, that Fox. That was the one. I thought I'd be in show business if I ever made that. I, re- I remember <laughs> the New Line theme. You, you didn't care for that? Um, yeah, it was like this kind of like tinkling little sound. Nah, 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 nah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, but, yeah it, was, it was a descending yeah. scale. It was but, kind of yeah, a, they, uh, they wanted to use this uh, Wonder Where the Lions Are, and they wanted to come up with it right from the top. So we, mm-hmm. we had to get Walden to sign off on their logo and New Line on their logo, and we went right into the music it was funny i was talking with somebody from uh, morgan creek and they had done uh, robin hood prince of thieves and they liked the theme that was written for the prince of thieves movie so much that they just took a snippet of it and that's now their logo oh really movie. oh yeah so they've been They've been using it ever since. Yeah. Well, I mean, so many movies do do what's called a temp track, and they, they you know you can take the best soundtracks from all the movies, put them into your movie as a temp track, which is a guide for the composer. But you you can fall in love with that temp track so that anything the composer does after the fact is sort of disappointing. Mm. Yeah. Wow. Well, it it's been a really great minute. This has been a, it's been fantastic having you on and talking about you know this this lost world of 1970 and and just getting your perspective as a filmmaker is is just great. Well, I mean, in these yeah. days, I mean, you think of look at how static the camera was. I mean, to, to, you know, today if we shot this movie, this to be an ar- a camera arm petting up as the plane went under it, and there'd be you know a steady cam going down the aisle, pushing in all this stuff. I mean, the the the, the you know the style of the day it was all about storytelling. You know, today now there's a lot more gimmicks to kind of, you know, to make us more interested. But in this movie, you know, you didn't need it. Yeah, I mean, if you compare it to a movie like Denzel Washington in Flight, that's a, you know, Zemeckis does it in, in an entirely different way. You're not, you know, the language has completely changed. Right, right, right. I, you know, I don't, I don't know if you could... If you could make a movie in this style anymore, I don't think I don't think modern audiences would sit still for it. Well, you know, the one guy that still sort of shoots a little bit like this is Clint Eastwood. I mean, he still sets up a master, does his coverage, 
He doesn't move the camera a lot. Rob Reiner's another guy. doesn't move the camera a lot. They're not about the mo- the fluidity of the camera. They're more about the story. And, uh, I mean, to, you know, now in television, some of the great TV stuff, I mean, the gimmick tree and <clears throat> the gimmicks that they can use to, to move a camera around is, you know, phenomenal. And then, you, know, you don't even know, you know, I mean, to, you don't even know what's real anymore. You can, anything you can imagine you can do today. Well, maybe they, uh, the limitations of the time made it, made it a better movie because they didn't, they didn't work on the gimmick. They didn't have all those much. tools. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, I, you know, yeah. I loved, I mean, I love all these, this, this period of, of filmmaking. It was, you know, it was a great time. And, and, and I mean, it, 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 you know, it, to me, it holds up today. <laughs> That's great news. I don't know why your, well, your show doesn't hold up, but this. this <laughs> no, I, I don't know. We're, yeah, we're, we're, we plot along. <laughs> but we do, uh, we do have a lot of uh, comments back on people, people who have experienced the show. If, you know, if our viewers or our listeners right now would like to, uh, would like to comment on this particular minute or any other minute, you can, you can reach out to us on uh, social media. We've got Facebook. You can get to us at Airport Minute on Twitter, Airport Minute. Our great big site, airportminute.com, where every episode has a, uh, a comment section at the bottom. If you'd like to hear this, uh, more, yeah. more podcast. Yeah. Did you get frequent flyer miles for watching this? I wish. It That's would, a it would great be nice. idea. I, I, we're going we're gonna to have to talk with uh, Transglobal or whoever bought Transglobal <laughs> when they finally sold out. <laughs> TGA. <laughs> TGA, exactly. It really is astonishing. This movie is kind of forgotten, but the people that remember it, they remember it with such a, a vigor of... Yeah, yeah, it's it's a uh, it's just a piece of childhood. Well, this really. was like yeah, Towering okay. Inferno, Poseidon Adventure, those big movies. My, my brother told Earth a story. Break. He was in 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 uh, uh, there's a little restaurant uh, in, up in Brentwood after OJ's trial, and OJ came in. He was at the bar, and my brother said to him, "Can I ask you a question?" And OJ tensed up, and he's, "Oh God, here we go." And he goes, "What was it like working with Steve McQueen in Towering Inferno?" And OJ like. You could see him just like, oh man, it was great. And he, you know, he became like so excited and animated to tell the stories of talking about Towering Inferno, having you know had this horrible tragedy and all this horrible crime. And 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 my brother said it was like I was like probably the first guy that asked him about something other than you know the the murder. Right. And uh, I mean, you know, uh, Towering Inferno. Uh, you guys should cover that next. Another one of the great uh, great movies, Steve McQueen. Paul Newman. Well, I've got I've got a question. When you're dealing with you know big name stars, you know people in this movie like Burt Lancaster and and Dean Martin and, and you know these, these super names, these, these guys that have a lot of power in the industry. How do you direct them? How do you get them to make sure you're the boss that you know they understand what you want out of the performance? Well, I mean, yeah, like when I was directing Kelsey Grammer, I'm not giving him a line reading on Frasier. I'm I'm just basically uh, you know you can throw some ideas out there. I mean. Uh, uh, a lot of them sort of know who they are and what they're going to do. So, you, you know, I, I've always been a big believer in letting, let's, let's see what you guys bring to it. And then I'll make an adjustment here or there, or maybe could we, you know, try to try to tweak it. I, I had, I had lunch with Ernest Borgnine a few years ago. Uh, mm. this was, and he, you know, he was like 93 at the time and he was, com- I said, what do you want to, what do you want to do next? He goes, I just want to work. I can't get, people can't get insurance for me, so I can't work. And he had done a movie with Doris Roberts, and he was down here for the film festival. But I mean, you look at a guy like Ernest Borgnine, who all his life, you know, had you know had had so much great work, and here he is at ninety, you know, still wanting to work. I mean, it's it it keeps yeah. you going, it keeps you young. So I think if you play into these guys' desire to be good and be great, and you know, 
that 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 sort of moves them along or moves the the element along. You know, moves the, the you know. It's all about making your day when you're shooting a movie. You know, do we get all our scenes shot? You know, I see Vin Diesel and then right now Vin Diesel and The Rock are fighting about. Uh, let me just change locations here. Uh, they're fighting about Vin Diesel showing up late on the set or something, and 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 uh, <laughs> you know, <laughs> Rock is like complaining, you know, in the press about you know Vin Diesel's work ethic, and you think, wow, really? Well, yeah, I think I read something about that, but the article didn't name who it was. It, you know. Oh no, it's Vin Diesel. Uh, the other, the other question that I had is, when you're doing uh, multiple takes and trying to get the best performance out of somebody, how, where, what would you say would be the cutoff for the number of takes you do with, with, you know, with, with, with like one line or one scene? Where, where? Well, for me, uh, you know, I, you know, I try to, you know, try to change the coverage if I'm not getting what I want, so that at least I'm getting some other coverage. But, um, you know, generally five to eight takes. We were doing Peggy Sue Got Married, and Francis Coppola was the director, and, and Barry, uh, Barry, what was Barry's last name? Levinson? Barry, not Barry. Schoenfeld? No, no, the, kid, the, the actor, Barry Miller, was, uh, I think it was Barry Miller. And he was, you know, over and over. We're on, like, take 28, and, and I look at Francis, because Francis, I used to hang out on the set and go to the dailies every day, because at that time I was, like, a free education in directing. And I said to Francis, take 28, I said, well, why are you doing it again? He goes, I'm wearing him down. <laughs> <laughs> Barry was, you know, I guess giving him too much, and and you know that's every director has their own, certainly their own style. I mean, I, you don't have the, you know, Francis has the luxury of doing twenty eight takes. You know, Kubrick we did that too. Yeah, oh yeah. If you saw that thing on The Shining, I mean, Kubrick like punished Shelley uh, Shelley Long, not Shelley Long, Shelley Duvall, and uh, I mean, you know, he he had to get that frenetic, you know, that that she she was so great in that movie. But I think he got that by the way he treated her is what I remember seeing in that Shining documentary. Yeah. I know that uh, in, in this particular movie, we, there was a lot of friction between Burt Lancaster and Gene Seberg, who Burt was like one and done. Mm-hmm. And Gene Seberg wanted to do another take and another take. And Burt found the whole thing unprofessional. But I don't know. He did have more pull on things since he had a, a piece of the movie. But I don't know who gets, you know, when you're trying to direct a movie and you say, that's enough takes. We've got what we need trying to appease everybody in your movie must be difficult. Yeah, I remember somebody was telling um, Tom Dreesen was telling me a Frank Sinatra story. They were shooting some big movie, and Frank says, I work till 11 o'clock, and then I'm done. And they're setting up this whole big, li- they're lighting this plaza somewhere, and, and at, at 11 o'clock, they're about ready to get the shot, and 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 Frank comes to the window and says, good night, everybody, and closes his drapes. <laughs> 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 then they had to do it another day, they had to back for another day, you know. <laughs> wow yeah he could get away with that yeah well you know i mean yeah when you've got that kind of body of work you can you can get away with it but you know most people are pretty professional i mean you know that you know it's a it's a luxury and it's a and it's a and it's a pleasure to make a movie i mean you know when you first start you know it's always like but once you kind of get into the grind it's you know generally most movies are shot between 20 and 40 days you know so it's not going to kill you but you know if when you're directing you're up the first one up and you're looking at dailies at night you know you're out, you're i'm working 17 18 20 hour days mm. Wow. But I know there's an end in sight. Yeah. <laughs> have you done a lot of uh, location shoots over uh, studio shoots? I mean, I, I would think that some of the loca- th- this movie relied on both location and studio shots. So trying to schedule all that time where, you know, you're waiting for the right weather and stuff like that must be a real drag. Well, the biggest drag is the company move. If you're making a company move, you know, it's, it's slow. You lose two hours, three hours in your day because, you know, just loading the trucks and unloading the trucks and getting everybody back on board. 
we were, I was directing a Gilmore's epi- a Gilmore girls episode. And, you know, we moved from just on the back lot, we were moving around with steak beds and it was, you know, that was slow enough. And then we decided to go to some real swimming pool in Glendale. And it was, I remember it was like three, it was three and a half, four hours before we got to the next shot. Okay. Ouch. But, wow. But, you know, I mean, that's, I think, I think that's the beauty of, you know, shooting on a back lot is that you can get a lot for your, your buck, but you know, in universal back lot, I mean, you see this, you know, they, they overuse, you know some of the some of the buildings, some of the streets. I mean, you know the the you know even at at uh, at Radford, you know the Seinfeld Street. You know that you know that was how many times can you redress that? You know. Yeah. <laughs> this movie is so far in the past. It's it's kind of we have to piece together how things went back there because so many people are gone. You know, every all the most of the principals are no longer with us, and at least the production side is. So it's it's mostly just extrapolating from other people's experiences. Well, and then moving a plane around. I did an Amazing Stories episode as an actor with Charlie Durning, and it was about a guy that wakes up from a dream with all these people crashed into his house, and he goes to the airport, and all the people that were crashed, all the victims walking around in his yard, are at the airport waiting to board the flight. So he's he's convinced that he had a you know a foreshadowing of this crash, and so they think he's drunk, and they drag him away, and he overpowers the guys in the truck, and he he he's coming out, and he sees me. I play a drunk pilot getting in a little Cessna, so he says that guy's drunk. You got to stop him. And Charles Durning you know hits a guy over the head with a with a board, and then comes comes racing out on the runway, and we had a DC nine at the time, and it had to taxi down. And, you know, and then take off as my Cessna's taxing and, and then his truck slams into the back of my Cessna and breaks it in half and the cut to the inside of the plane and the pilot going, that guy saved the day. And we did it. And it was like, a you know, it's like an hour and a half, two hours to get everything set up, everything staged. And the timing was off. And they go, we got to do it again. And the sun was coming up, and they, you know, we had, they had IMO cameras everywhere, and everybody. It was like a a, a race. They had a hundred camera systems running to reload all these IMOs. Stop it down one stop. It was getting starting to get light, and they wanted to match it. And I mean, it was a huge. It was for one shot. I mean, but it was it was all it was like a, a, a an eight hour night, you know, to do that. So I can only imagine in this well, thing. I mean, some of these shots, you know, the, anytime you got a plane taxiing around, you, you know. You got a, a lot, yeah, a lot of complications. And this is an active airport. I mean, this was shot at uh, MSP, Minneapolis, St. Paul. So they had to shoot everything between midnight and say four uh-huh. a.m. and and get everything in in position, ready to roll in January, right? Sh- yeah, on a week when it didn't snow, they they, they were stuck <laughs> there, and it was perfectly clear weather, dry, empty, you know. And then it finally uh, snowed four days in. Uh, to their location shot, and they just they did all those pickups where like Maureen Stapleton's running through the airport and stuff like that. But these were all these exterior shots were all shot over two mm-hmm. days. That you know, but I guess they had rehearsed it so many times. It's like let's get this done, let's right, get this right, done, right. let's get this done. Yeah. So and you know, you you don't just back a plane up and start again. You got to take it down and come around. I remember the scenes in Bullet when Steve McQueen's chasing him through the through the runways, you know, and he's rolling under the plane. I mean that. I think that was at San Francisco Airport, but you know that was probably you know five days of shooting to get that stuff. Yeah, well, it, it you, you can watch these things and think of all the Maylocks moments <laughs> people have when they were trying to get this together. Right. But it 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 landed jelly side up, so that's a that's yeah. A good no, thing. hey, listen, it's you know I'm glad you guys are you know looking at this movie with such uh, you know a, a microscope because it's you know it these, all these movies if you, you know if you if you look at all this stuff and you think you know. What, 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 you know, how would you do it different today? You know, 
it would be, you know, yeah. it, it would be a whole different animal. Oh, yeah. de- definitely. Yeah. Sure. It's, uh, and thank, thank heavens for, uh, uh stop, uh, or VCR still, you know, the, the still button that you can actually see all these little, little, little moments. pieces of the movie. Yes. You know, uh, I'm sure when they were making this film, they weren't thinking that, Hey, 40 some odd years from now, people are going to really be studying this, <laughs> but you know, it's just an example of how professional all the filmmakers were, you know, the mm-hmm. care that they put into setting up every shot. Right. Right. Yeah. Well, I, I think it was a different time then. Now, you know, now people are sometimes trying to impress you with their, you know, the way they shoot stuff. You know, I'm going to do it all in one yeah. take. We shoot the whole movie in one take. <laughs> On an iPhone. Yeah. It's yeah. It's exactly. <laughs> wow. Well, yeah. I mean, I guess the technical skill here is not noticing the technicalities. It, it's uh, you know, they they tell the story with a minimum of fuss. I mean, you're not you're not overwowed by things other than I mean, when you think about the reality of the the end of this movie, where they take a real 707 and put it into a skid on the runway and have it make a you know big right turn as it's skidding down the runway. I don't even know if you'd get the insurance for something <laughs> like that nowadays. Yeah, yeah. Well, and you think about this movie. I mean, when Airplane, I mean, Airplane was essentially a send-up of this movie. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, and a lot of people have never seen this movie but have seen Airplane and maybe missing you know half the jokes that are in it because this is what it's referencing. Well, and that's the trouble with young kids. I mean, I let my kids see Young Frankenstein. They loved it because they knew. But th- then I showed them Blazing Saddles, and they didn't, they didn't really grow up with Westerns, so they didn't get you know the, the comedy uh, the, the parody of the Western that, that, you know, that they needed to have to enjoy it as much as they enjoyed young Frankenstein. Yeah. It's, uh, just having the references in the back of your head is, is what makes it even mm-hmm. funnier. So, well, maybe hope, hopefully people will watch this movie, then watch airplane and say, Oh, I get it now. <laughs> uh, and if we do the, if, if we do the air airplane minute, we, we have to have you back. Well, I get my friend Bob Hayes is a buddy of mine. You know, he's the guy you need to get on there. Cause you know, it made his career, you know? Oh yeah. Yeah. No, that, that would be awesome. Yeah. But uh, we, we'd hope to have you back on, a, on another minute of the airport minute. It's been a, a lot of fun having you here and uh, a great insight to how you know, the, all the pieces work in the background. But, well, thank you so much for, be, for oh, being here. Oh, thanks for having me on. Uh, I look, I look at it more as a, a lot of fun. It was also a career move. <laughs> That's right. Well, we'll wait for the offers to come pouring in. <laughs> I guess. Well, where, where online can people uh, explore more of the world we'll, we'll try on? Um, on RedTube. Are, they familiar, are you familiar with RedTube? <laughs> <laughs> no, it's uh, you can go to ShrinerMedia.com. My website has clips of me with Johnny. It has clips of projects I'm working on and things I've done. And there's there's trailers for the movies. And it's a pretty comprehensive site. You can you can spend way too much time there. You know, dwelling into the, my uh, failed career. <laughs> Those are the best kind of sites there yeah. are. But, you know, ones you can get lost in for an afternoon. Although is great. Pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> RedTube has any any if you have any sort of uh, unique perversion or anything, there's a channel for you. <laughs> I spent a lot of time on the Shemail site, but you know that's that's just me. <laughs> Do they have an Oscars there? I don't know. We won't tell anyone. Will. I did go once to the uh, <laughs> porno awards at, at, at CES. They used to have an adult video th- conference at the same time. And I, Rick Overton, a comedian friend of mine, was the MC, and he invited me to go with him to the porno awards. And it was, it was, it, you, I can't describe how unusual it was. <laughs> uh, not a dry <laughs> seat right. in the house. Uh, <laughs> uh, well, thank you again. I mean, this is yeah, great. I, I, yeah. All right. Well, listen. Thank you so much for having me on. It was a lot of fun. Uh, good luck with their project here. I think it's uh, you know it's a great uh, it's a great insight you guys are doing, and I'll, I look forward to seeing episode seventy and uh, how many episodes do you think there'll be? Well, hopefully one hundred and thirty-seven. That's how many minutes there are. So we'll we'll try to make it through to the okay. Bitter well, end. that credit episode will be very exciting. 
<laughs> we'll talk about a universal picture for yeah. when, when in Southern hour. California visit Universal Studios. Yes. Uh, all right, guys. Well, thanks uh, for having me on. Good luck with uh, with everything, and uh, keep you know what we say: airplane, airport, airplane, two great. Well, thanks again for everybody listening in, and uh, we will join you again tomorrow. So uh, please stay tuned, and in the meantime, good day. Bye. Nice going, sweetheart. Remind me to send a thank you note to Mr. Bowling. Thank you.